0: Welcome to Faster Please, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukis. Several times a month, I'll feature a lively conversation with a fascinating and provocative guest about how to make the world a better place through scientific discovery, technological innovation, and economic growth. You're also going to want to check out my Faster Please newsletter. You're on Substack throughout the week for fresh essays, Q&As, and stories from around the internet and around the world. It was only three decades ago that astronomers first discovered planets outside our solar system. Since then, astrophysicists have found more of these exoplanets, including some Earth-like worlds that exist in their star's habitable zone. Today, astronomy has moved far beyond pointing a lens at the night sky. So I've brought on Joya Rao to describe her work on exoplanets, as well as how AI and recent declines in launch costs will change astronomy. Joya is an astrophysicist and a program scientist at Schmidt Futures. Previous to joining Schmidt Futures, Joya was a research scientist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Joya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. When I hear that there's been a discovery that NASA has discovered an Earth-sized world inside the habitable, habitable zone of its star, I think... Are there people there? Is there intelligent life there? When you hear that, like, what do, what, what do you think? What do you, uh, you know, what strikes you? What are the implications you you, you draw? What, what do you want to know more of?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So as a scientist, um, I have many questions after this discovery. You know, like I would like to um, use JWST more to discover which other molecules are in there. I would like to understand better what's the size of this planet uh what is its atmosphere and its surroundings. But as a human, <laughs> as a person, um is also, you know, and, and also as a scientist keeps me uh completely uh uh you know it blows my mind. It, I'm getting so excited by uh, the multiple discoveries. Um so James Webb Space Telescope is great to understand the atmosphere of these exoplanets. but what really uh, kept us going from zero to 5,200, where we are now, in terms of how many uh, exoplanets have been confirmed, is uh, first Kepler and then TESS. What is TESS? TESS is another telescope of NASA. Um, It has discovered many, many exoplanets. It has scanned both hemispheres of the sky. Um, And actually, uh, at NASA, my group um, has used TESS to... um, um, Let's say uh, with with the test light curves feed uh, our built uh, convolutional neural network. And so through artificial intelligence, we were able to discover 181 new planet candidates. So those are incredible machines. Let's say um, test is our searcher, but then to really understand what is in there, what is what's the composition of this planet, we need JWST.
0: So, how many Earth-like, in a very very broad sense, uh, worlds have we found that are in habitable zones?
1: Uh that's a that's a very good question, and I don't have the number on top of my head. But uh, those are just a bunch. Yeah. Um, At
0: some point, we had discovered none. So I mean, and it wasn't that long ago, right? That we probably had not discovered any of these.
1: Right, and so the difficulty is. In, is in defining what is Earth-like, right? There are uh, multiple uh, meaning of this. One is the distance from the um, the parent star that is similar to the distance between the Earth and our own sun. Uh, so this is called habitable zone. Uh, but another measure of Earth-like is the size of the planet or the fact that it's rocky versus gases. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely the, the, the test uh, uh, is, is the uh, telescope that helped us a lot with, with such discoveries. And even
0: before we had found any of these, I, ma- I, I imagine there was considerable speculation that obviously there had to be they had to exist. There had to be all kinds of planets uh, mm-hmm. outside our solar system, but we had not dis- we had not discovered them. And yet, I imagine that was still a pretty. It's been a pretty wonderful run we've had from 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 going from pure speculation to beginning to analyze what these planets, whether they're earth sized or, or not, what other worlds are like.
1: Absolutely, and and it's just. About thirty years, thirty-three years, that we know that actually, actually, other planets, exoplanets, which by definition are planets outside our own solar system, exist. Before it was, as you mentioned, just a speculation. Uh, but the first ever exoplanet was discovered um, around thirty-three years ago, and so since then, really, a revolution began. And actually, uh, these these two scientists that. That um, co-authored the discovery of the first of the planets just recently been awarded the, the Nobel Prize.
0: It might seem to some people that NASA hasn't really done much since the Apollo program, but there's a lot more to space science than crewed missions. It seems to me like NASA is actually doing a whole lot of things right now.
1: Absolutely. Uh, this The time we are living now is a time of revolution for so many aspects. Uh, in uh, in a space exploration, so not only uh, human exploration, which of course during the Apollo time uh, peaked, and now hopefully also with the Artemis mission, named after the, the sister of Apollo in Greek mythology, um, is coming, right? Uh, but James Webb Space Telescope, which is really a marvel of engineering, we never before have thought we could fold a telescope literally inside the rocket like an origami and then let it deploy it um, in the atmosphere. And we are discovering web so many um, different things about the universe. So our early universe, it's basically, uh, web is basically a machine to look back in time uh, with it, you know, infrared vision, we will be able to look back over 30.5 billion of years, but also with web, we can discover galaxies uh, over time, uh, again, with the infrared sensitivity. uh, So to discover even the earliest and faintest uh, galaxies, we can discover the life uh, cycle of the stars, um, as in the infrared web is able to uh, look through the dust clouds, uh, which are otherwise opaque Uh, to the visible light but also we are uh, as we mentioned before able to see the atmosphere of these uh, exoplanets and so understand if in there there are building blocks of life so elsewhere in the universe uh, but also understand how our own solar system was formed
0: it might seem to some people that nasa hasn't really done much since the apollo program but there's a lot more to space science than crude missions seems to me like NASA is actually being a whole lot of things right now.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a great question. We have um, um, Hubble in the past, the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, through Kepler and TESS, um, now with James Webb, and in the future with the Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope. We will be able to uh, understand so many different aspects of the um, zoology of this planet, so to say, but also on the composition of the atmosphere and so on. And so, um, basically, um, up to now, five different uh, methods to discover isoplanets, And um, um, and for example, one of those is transit, the method that Kepler and and Tass used use. But another one is gravitational microlensing which uh, the Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope will use. So- um, Now what is that? Right, so um, gravitational microlensing is basically an observational effect that was predicted in 1936 by Einstein uh, using uh, the the theory of general relativity. But this effect was never actually proved up to now, so, uh, in in space, and so, uh, Basically, when one star in the sky uh, pass nearly or in front of another, then the light gray- rays of the uh, background uh, star uh, become basically bent due to the gravitational um, force, the gravitational track- uh, attraction of the front- foreground star. And so this star then is actual- actually acting as a virtual uh, magnifying glass or a lens and so it amplifies the brightness of the background source star. And so we refer to the foreground star as a lens star. And if the lens star harbors a planetary system, so an exoplanet starry system, then those planets can actually also act as lenses. And so each of these planets will be producing a short deviation in the brightness of the source. And so we discover the presence of each of the planets in this way. And measure. We, we are able to measure also its mass and separation from the star. And this technique also tells us uh, how common Earth-like planets are. And, uh, um, and, and this is a great uh, method, actually, for Earth-like planets. Um, and I've guided also the design of, of uh, this future uh, space mission as uh, the, the Nancy Great Roman Space Telescope.
0: What would you like to be able to... Find out about an exoplanet that you currently can't, but you think you might be able to uh, ten years from now or twenty years from now.
1: There are several aspects that are currently um, unknown. Probably need the most, but um, and what uh, the Roman uh, uh, space telescope will uh, also. Um, help us understand. Um, Roman will be launched in, uh, in uh, uh, May, 2027, uh, this is the, the forecast, and it will be operational a few months after. Uh, but basically, uh, Roman will have a wild field instrument that will bring us really a, a panoramic view, so a wide field of view uh, that is 200 times larger than Hubble Space Telescope uh, in the infrared. And so it will also combine the the power of imaging and and spectroscopy. And so in this way, we will uh, uncover thousands of exoplanets beyond beyond our own solar system. And um, we will have basically a census of the zoology of of the exoplanets. But also we will have in the future hopefully uh, way much higher uh, resolution of spectroscopy, to which we really can understand um, what molecules are there um, beyond what GWC is able to tell us and also um, you know if there is water if, if we can uh, go there considering that many of these planets are not that far away um, I mean in an astronomical uh, point of view, right? They are just a dozen of uh, um, um, or hundreds of uh, light years away, which is not that far away. How did you
0: get involved in this to begin with? As a kid, were you a, a space nut? You loved reading about it or watching documentaries? What kind of got you interested in the field?
1: Yeah, so since I, since I was a little kid, I was literally dreaming about space. Um, I was very curious about everything, about science in general, of science. Uh, but something about space was extremely uh fascinating for me. This feeling of looking at the universe and feeling small in comparison of the immensity of the cosmos, uh, dreaming of exploration while watching the space shuttle launches in the in the 90s. And also, you know, all this question. Um, that we are still trying to uncover. So what is out there? How does the universe work? How did we get here? Uh, Those were all fascinating to me um, as a kid. And yes, since I am a very little kid, I wanted to uh, work for NASA. I even uh, wrote NASA a letter. When I was about age eight, I wanted to attend their summer camp, Um, obviously from my accent and I'm not... um, uh, born in the US, I was not born in the US, and so unfortunately at the time it was uh, precluded for foreigners to attend their, their summer camps. But they brought me, and so they brought me back. They were like, "Study, you know, like, um, and one day you will come back here." And so I didn't give up.
0: <laughs> and uh, just a- explain a-, a little bit about the thrust of your work now at mm-hmm. Futures.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. So, yeah, as mid-futures, um, we um, do several things for um, for astronomy in general and for space. Um, uh, fascination of space, of, of course, drove me to uh, do um, research, you know, like very hands-on research. And then, of course, I evolved and I started to lead research groups and to have my own um Students and and uh, um, and, uh, and interns and so on, which I love. I love to mentor uh, young uh, students and get them inspired uh, to do science. Uh, but then also uh, like this aspect of, uh, of you know, managerial, more managerial, programmatic aspects. And so, with mid futures, we are really um, forging what the future of uh, astronomy and astrophysics uh, will be in the next um, five, ten years and beyond, and so this is extremely thrilling to me.
0: You know, were talking about that this is a you know it's just a, a kind of a revolutionary period in uh, in space science. How important in this period and let's say over the next decade are two things: one, artificial intelligence. <laughs> to look, you know, to help, pro- I guess, process all this data. And mm-hmm. two, the fact that it's getting cheaper to to uh, put probes in, in, in space and put telescopes in space. It's You know, the, and I imagine those costs are to continue to come down.
1: Absolutely. I believe that the future of astronomy is about, um, in astrophysics in general, cutting it, it will be about um, an accelerated timeline. Uh, and about cutting uh, drastically costs. Um, and so this is where also um, um, I really want to focus on, um, especially for, for the future astrophysics. Um, concerning artificial intelligence and its use in astronomy, uh, this is truly uh, revolutionizing how we do astronomy. Uh, NASA is doing a lot in this sense, Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, through AI, uh, we discovered uh, a bunch of new planet candidates, Um, but AI in general is um, revolutionizing astronomy in in many, many ways, from understanding of cosmology to um, understanding the shape of galaxies and how they form, Uh, and I'm noticing more and more AI-based um, application to the exploration of astronomical data, and so this is definitely, uh, I believe, the future of astronomy. In a decade or so, there will be more AI-based uh, application to to analyze astronomical data than um, than no, than you know, um, manual ones.
0: I know there, there's there's uh, ideas about putting. A variety of of telescopes on the moon, and there's all this yeah. concern uh, lately about our sky, our sky being cluttered with uh, satellites, and a lot of astronomers are complaining about the the Elon Musk Starlink that it's obscuring views, and uh, but I would imagine that putting something, but putting some kind of telescope and you know radio telescopes, imagine a variety of them. That, that would be helpful, right? Putting them on the moon as opposed to having them on, on Earth.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I believe that the future of uh, uh, space astronomy, as we call it, right, versus space-based. Space-based are all the telescopes that we send around mm-hmm. Earth or in space to L2 and so on, versus space-based are the telescopes that we build on Earth. Uh, but the future of space-based astronomy is actually from the moon. Uh, and also beyond the Moon. Um, In particular, for the radio wavelength domain, um, a radio telescope on the far side of the Moon will have tremendous advantages compared to um, Earth-based and also Earth-orbiting telescope. For example, such a telescope could observe the universe at wavelength uh, greater than 10 uh, meters which are reflected, actually, by Earth's ionosphere, and so are up to now uh, completely, largely unexplored uh, by humans. But also the Moon acts as a physical shield that isolates the lunar surface telescope from uh, any radio interferences or noises from the Earth-based sources, um, from the ionosphere and from Earth-orbiting satellites, and also from sun's radio noise during the lunar light. And so such a radio uh, uh, lunar-based telescope could enable tremendous uh, scientific discoveries, for example, in the field of cosmology by observing the early universe in this range of 10 to 50 uh, meter wavelength span, uh, which has been unexplored completely uh, by humans uh, today.
0: Is, is there any film that you think portrays what you do at all, realistically, so so. Then, if the answer is no, what movies do you still find? In, you know, space science fiction movies do you find inspirational? I'm guessing maybe
1: Contact,
0: but maybe there's some others.
1: Exactly. So, Contact is that inspired me when I when I was growing up. Um, for for several reasons, I started uh, during the holiday, but I didn't have the time to finish it uh, to watch. Don't look up. But I watched the last, the first like half an hour, and I have to say that DiCaprio was very much, you know, the, into the the professor type, <laughs> and so all the dynamic that happened, um, that a scientific, but also as a um, uh, bureaucratic level, so to say. But uh, since we are talking about movies, a movie that. I love, and it's really inspirational. For very many uh, point of view, is Interstellar. Many scientists will say that is a movie that is completely wrong, and so on and so forth. Uh, when I watch a movie, I like to watch a movie as a, a as a person, and you know, detached from my <laughs> scientific point of view, just because um, it's a movie and it's a fiction. So many movies are completely movies are completely. Uh, um, untrue for several aspects so why are we uh going to investigate about how, how uh, physical uh, true is it is a movie right we, we need to enjoy it
0: when you're when you're traveling and people and you tell people they ask what do you do and you say what you do i imagine people are pretty enthusiastic because my theory is that people are super interested if we if we you know popularize and we let people know what actually is happening. And there's been a lot happening other than moon landings over the past half century, and maybe a lot more happening over the next 10, 20 years.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you when I travel and, you know, I get to speak with people like, what, what do you do? And they say, I'm not a physicist. Everybody, you know, it blows the mind of, of people um, just because people don't don't have any idea about actually what we do. Right. They think that we look through uh, a telescope (laughs) part of what we do in the free time, maybe. (laughs) But uh, the the reality is way beyond that. And so um, I believe it's on uh, space is such a source of huge inspiration uh, for the mankind, for all of us. And so it's definitely on us, the scientists, astrophysicists, to be a great outreach source, you know, to be great communicators, um, to make space and science in general more accessible and comprehensible to society and to all people as this will benefit the knowledge of all, uh, but also it will benefit science. And so uh, as a return science, um, making it more more accessible, more comprehensible.
0: When was the last time that you looked into the eyepiece of a physical telescope. Was it Was it 20 years ago? Was it yesterday? <laughs>
1: Fun fact, um, for my nephews, the sons of my brother, they're twins, um, for their uh, birthday, I gave them uh, a small, um, uh, you know, a few inches uh, um, refractor, uh, I mean, a New Thailand telescope. And so um, now that they went, off to college, they were like, "Hey, and, you actually wanted it, want it?" And I was like, "Are you sure? because I will say, yes. <laughs> and so with our, our very young daughter, um, I've looked at it very recently, um so it was not that long ago. That's why I say it's something that we do in our you know <laughs> in our free time. And many, many um, astrophysicists have this passion to be, you know, also. Um, to to have a small telescope or to be also astrophotographers, uh, because this is this is a, a passion that many of uh, of us have. But I mean, in general, um, you know, coming back to what you said before, and and why space is important, and and, and why um, the US with all the problems that there are in the world, uh, why we should actually invest in space and, and, and use this money in there and not on other problems well you know first of all I hope it was clear through all of this space can be very inspiring uh, for young kids and to motivate them but also for adults mm, to look at the beauty of our universe and also as a remind um, to us all to be humble uh, we are just you know, one extremely small piece uh, in the in the huge cosmic uh, puzzle of of the universe governing the universe. Uh, but also, um, there are so many other benefits uh, of space exploration. You know, um, how NASA uh, uh, money spent on NASA positively be in, impact U.S. economy. Um, how when we apply ourselves. On the challenges of space exploration, we make discoveries that can help actually the world in many ways. Um, for example, studying how food grows on on orbit uh, or in Mars might yield insights into growing growing food in extreme conditions on Earth. Or you know, um, when when climate change will will hit even harder. Um, also, NASA's budget is not that expensive. it's only about zero point five percent of this total federal budget. Um, it's even smaller than for other nations. And also, a cosmic perspective is can also give us, uh, you know, um, insight on the importance of protecting our own planet's habitability, and so encourage investments and efforts. Then, um, and not to mention, of course, that studying space may of one save. One day save us all, um, and and so we have to explore space to find and study, you know, asteroids and comets in our cosmic neighborhoods uh, That you know, uh, to 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 uh, to defend our own Earth, and to understand that actually Earth is unique in its habitability up to now.
0: Even without the economic case, I think the other reasons are compelling enough. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Joya.
1: Of course, thank you so much for having me here. This is fun.